The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ to you all this morning. Welcome everybody here in the room. Welcome those of you tuning in online and Of course, a special welcome to all of our visitors this morning. I want to welcome you to the second Sunday of Advent. I'm so glad that you're joining us and that we get to continue in our study together in Advent, the love of God. And so we're going to continue that study this morning and jump right into our text in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. So that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Let's pray, church. God, once again, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this season of Advent, this time of remembering your coming in the incarnation, and this time of anticipating and readying our hearts and hoping for your second coming. In this time between Jesus, we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text, and I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Four Loves, and in that book there's a chapter called Friendship. And I was browsing through that chapter, skimming it a little this last week, and there was a paragraph that jumped out at me in both its simplicity and kind of sadness, but also how profound it was. And basically what he's talking about is imagine a group of friends, friend A, friend B, and friend C. And what he says is that when friend A passes away, not only does friend B lose friend A, but friend B also loses the part of friend A that was in friend C. Right, That when friend A dies, friend C not only loses friend A, they lose the part in friend B that only friend A could bring out. Right, So Lewis says that now that my friend Charles is dead, 
I'll never again hear Ronald's laughter at a particularly Charles joke, right? Charles's specific sense of humor. And what he's getting at is this idea that all of us bring out different facets of one another, right? That when the friendship circle widens, we don't lose less of this one friend, but when we welcome someone else in, we actually get more of them because something, some fullness is drawn out of them that we ourselves cannot draw, right? So Lewis says that in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. I think one of the truths that Lewis is getting at in this little discussion of friendship is simply that we are not complete without each other. We're not complete without one another. Now, I know that goes against the grain of some of our American individualism. I know we bristle at the thought that we might not be complete as our solitary lone wolf self. But I believe he's right. And not in a Jerry Maguire kind of romance, you complete me kind of way, necessarily. But in the sense that none of us can reach our fullness without each other. None of us is a solitary individual. We are loved into existence. We are loved all the way to the end of our lives, and we cannot exist alone. I think he's right in the sense that we are the body of Christ. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul echoes these very same themes in our text this morning, in Philippians. Paul echoes these themes that there is a wholeness and a completion and a fullness that we cannot have alone. A wholeness and completion as the body of Christ that we can only access together. And what I hope we might find this morning is not just the communion that we have as friends, but that we might see our way even to the full and perfect communion of God's love. So that's what I want to discover with you this morning as we jump back into our text, not at the beginning, but let's actually jump in at verse 6. Because in verse 6, we encounter a verse that could be the theme verse for the entire book of Philippians. He says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says he's confident. He's confident that God, the God who started a good work, is going to bring it all the way to the finish line. And it's pretty amazing that Paul has this confidence thinking about where he is. He's in prison. Probably not a place that engenders a lot of confidence in someone, right? This is not the place where Paul would really be that confident, we would think. Right? And the Philippians as well, we know that they're probably in kind of some tough times. We can sense hints of that throughout the letter, that there's some struggle going on in their lives, some suffering. 
And yet Paul says, I'm confident that the God who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. That can be hard to swallow. We like to see evidence that things are moving towards the finish line, right? We want to see the empirical support that it's going to get done. If you're a teacher and you check in mid-semester on your students' final projects and you see zilch, are you going to feel very good about that? I don't think so. I don't think you're going to have a lot of confidence. If you are building a house and you drive out to the work site one random day and you find the construction crew, not only are they not building the house, they're actively tearing it down. I don't think you're going to feel very good about that completion deadline. And yet it's in the midst of these trials, it's in the midst of imprisonment that Paul says, God's going to finish it. That good work that God started in you, he's going to carry that to the end. But Advent does remind us that God's love is not currently done with us yet. God's not done with us yet. We are a work in progress. We are God's work in progress. That's what we are, and we'll always be that this side of eternity. Right? Some of you feel that work in progressness of yourselves, right? We all feel that at times when we struggle, when we fail, when we live poorly, when we choose unwisely. We feel that sense that we are not yet complete. Advent reminds us that until Jesus comes, we will always be a work in progress. Remember last week, Psalm 25, we actually are waiting on something. We are waiting on that fullness and completion of God's love to finish us. We are God's work in progress all the way till the day of Jesus Christ. Paul uses that language in this section, the day of Christ Jesus, the day of Jesus Christ. He's really talking about the Old Testament day of the Lord. Remember in the Old Testament, it talks about the day of the Lord essentially as judgment day, as God's reckoning, when God's going to make all things right, when God's going to call us all to an account. And so Paul in the New Testament calls that the day of Jesus Christ. It's the second coming, the second advent. And Paul says, until then, we're a work in progress, but I'm confident that God will finish the good work that is in you. He's not confident because of any evidence that we can present, of any inherent talent that we might have, but Paul is confident simply because this good work God started and God finishes what God starts. But how does God do that? How does God work on us if we're a work in progress? In this time between the two advents, when we feel our incomplete nature, how does God bring us to that finish line? Well, Paul continues in verse seven. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart 
For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Look at the affection that Paul feels for the Philippians. Paul loves this church, right? Remember back to the very first verses? I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to bookmark in your heads that word sharing. We're going to come back to that at the end. But look at how much Paul loves this church. He's exuberant. He prays with joy, constantly remembering them all the time. It's possible, it really seems that Paul feels closer to the church in Philippi than any other church that he writes to. Because Paul always starts off with a greeting in his letters, and then he moves to this Thanksgiving section. He always does that, except Galatians, where he's really peeved, and he just blows right through it. But here in Philippians, we actually get the opposite. We get the longest section of Thanksgiving that Paul ever writes to a church. He's just overflowing with this incredible love for the church in Philippi. And I think part of that is because of the support they have just given him. They have really shown up for him in a huge way. We know in the letter of Philippians that they have brought this gift of resources, of, of finances to him to support him. And that might sound small to you, but remember that Paul's in prison. And prison in the first century wasn't exactly like prison in America today. In the first century, if you were in prison, you couldn't necessarily count on your captors to feed you. Right? They're, they're not necessarily going to support you. You can't count on the people who are imprisoning you. You have to count on people outside, count on your kinship, your relationships. And so the Philippians, they send one of their own on this harrowing, dangerous journey with resources to wherever Paul's in prison. We're not sure. It might be Ephesus, might be Rome. But they send him all the way there and bring this blessing to Paul to share in his sufferings, to support him in this challenging, challenging time. And so Paul says in verse 7, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In the Philippians, Paul has found a church that shares in his joys and sorrows, in his highs and lows. We get this incredible demonstration this powerful illustration of a sharing in the gospel, a sharing, a communion, or koinonia is that Greek word, in Christ. And so what we see in Philippi is that God uses communion to move us to completion. God uses communion to move us to completion. One of the tools that God uses on his road all the way to the day of Jesus Christ, one of the tools he uses is communion, 
is our fellowship with one another, right? Our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who love us even as we are works in progress. Communion, sharing, is one of the ways that God loves us to that end. All right, think of the friendships Think of the relationships in your lives that have been there for you in the thick of it. They've been in the highs, they've been in the lows, they've been in the joys, they've been in the sorrows. You know, I think of a friend I mentioned in a sermon a few weeks back, my my dear friend Colin, who's been one of my best friends since second grade, actually. He's a lifelong friend, he was my best man. And one of the reasons is because he's been there for me through the work and progress of Brett's life, right? He's been there for me in fifth grade, transitioning to sixth grade, moving schools when I was very awkward in a struggling season. Y'all, middle schoolers, you know what I'm talking about. But Colin loved me through that. And, and he was a big part of helping me g- become the person that I am today. And I could name countless people, you know, parents and Laura and everyone and many in this room. And I know you all have those folks as well. People who you share communion, community with, that have loved you to the person you are today. Advent is a time to remember that God uses communion to move us to completion. And that brings us to the last section of this passage where, where Paul closes in verses nine through 11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Paul is confident that the Philippians are gonna move towards that final day, but in the meantime, Paul wants them to continue to grow wants them to grow in this knowledge that they have. And he wants them to continue to gain insight and knowledge and wisdom. I'm not quite at the end yet, actually. Y'all can hang on for one minute. (laughs) Sorry. But Paul wants these Philippians to continue growing in their knowledge and insight. Why? Because he wants them to determine what is best. Right? He wants them to be able to determine what is best so that they can gain this moral enrichment of their reasoning and discernment, right? I think that phrase is, is amazing if we sit with it for a moment, right? To determine what is best. Because I think one of the impressions that we as Christians have sometimes given the world is that there's nothing to determine, There's no determination to be made. Out of hand, we already know exactly what is best about every X, Y, and Z, right? But like the church in Philippi, we live in a world where there are issues that are complicated, right? We live in a world where it's hard to see the road ahead. It's hard to see exactly what is the right thing to do at all times, And so Paul encourages us to continue growing in that knowledge and insight. And one of the ways we do that is communion, 
right, is our fellowship with one another, right? When you live in close proximity with people for a long period of time, you start to realize that, well, maybe my viewpoint isn't just the only one, right? And now, I know we hang out with friends who will just, you know, believe exactly what we think about everything. We can all do that. But there are also deep friendships, and you have these true friendships that will challenge you on what you think, right? That will show you that, you know, none of us have an unassailable deposit of ultimate knowledge, right? None of us have an unimpeachable view of everything in the world. So living in communion is one of the ways that God leads us to love, that God leads us to a fuller perspective of his love and how we are to produce, as Paul says, a harvest of righteousness in Christ. Friendship, communion, draws us to be people with open minds. Now, I should also say, as an eminently quotable OC professor used to say, Dr. Lauren Giger, you should be open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brain falls out, <laughs> right? As, and G.K. Chesterton talked about this too. He had some disagreements with H.G. Wells, a writer back at the turn of the 20th century, but they had a positive relationship even though they disagreed on many things, but Chesterton, a Christian, said that Wells thought the purpose of opening your mind was just to keep opening it, whereas Chesterton believed that opening your mind is the same as opening your mouth. You're hoping to shut it again on something solid, right? God uses the people that we fellowship with to lead us into fuller knowledge and insight. And what he wants us to shut our minds on is love. In verse nine, he says, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. Knowledge and insight flows from love. And then that greater knowledge and insight helps us to determine what is best as we enact the love of Christ. I think of a quote from Joseph Leanhard who said, there are some sorts of knowledge that can only follow commitment, love, and risk. There are some things that we can only learn by risking the commitment of love. Right By risking that communion of sharing in God's love with one another. There are some things we can only learn through commitment, love, and risk. As Paul echoes these themes in 1 Corinthians 13, a passage you've heard a hundred times if you've been to a hundred weddings, but it still strikes me as profound every time when he says, love never ends but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. When the complete comes, the partial ends. The partial is our partial knowledge. But what never ends, Paul says, is love. Love is the complete that comes. The love of God is the completion we are working towards on the day of Jesus Christ, is the completion he is moving us towards. Remember in verses five and seven, Paul uses that word koinonia. He says, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That word koinonia, it can't be captured in a single English word. It means participation, it means fellowship, it means partnership, it means communion. And it is this communion that we have that is a foretaste of God's perfect communion. God's loving communion, right? The end and completion of God's full triune love. Yes, as George Hunzinger says, koinonia in the inner life of God is the beginning and end of all things. At its highest level, koinonia is ultimate reality itself. It is everything found in the self-giving, loving union of the triune God. And so it's that koinonia, it's that communion that we begin to experience even now together as the body of Christ. What we find is that communion is not just the means, it's also the end. Communion is not just the road to completion, it is that completion. God's loving communion is our true completion. God's loving communion is our true completion. It is both the road and the destination. As we share in this friendship, this fellowship, this partnership in the gospel, we begin to walk the road to that perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We begin to participate even now in the communion of the eternal God of love. There's a line in the last song of the musical Les Miserables. You might remember that line. It says, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. When we gather around these tables in communion, in koinonia, we begin to see the face of God in our brother and sister. We begin to learn more about the world. We begin to increase in knowledge and insight of the other. And in so doing, we step into the otherness of God's self-giving love. 
church, it is around these tables that we come to share and begin sharing in the eternal communion of God that I am confident he will produce in each and every one of us. That God will continue to show us how to share until the day of Jesus Christ when we reach completion in love. Church, let us stand now and come and share around these tables. Come to the tables. Thank you.